If she can do it, I can too. I'm just like them. I'm not any different. Remove my title. I'm just Ilda. How is it going, ladies and gentlemen? This is Sean Barnes. I want to welcome you back to The Way of the Wolf. Our guest today is Ilda Andalus. We met at a CHRO conference last year and just hit it off. Started having a great conversation about building cultures of performance and disc profiles and leadership and women in the workplace. She is the EVP of Human Resources for Veril Energy Solutions and has quite an interesting story in her ability to step up and start creating a women's community there at Veril to promote them and help build them into even stronger leaders. So Ilda, welcome to The Way of the Wolf. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, okay, I am, I'm really pumped and excited about this. I'll be completely transparent. We don't always have a lot of females, especially in senior leadership roles in an organization. I would actually love to hear your perspective about what that is like for you and what your journey has been like to step into an EVP role at an organization of their, that size. Well, you're right. There's not so many women in leadership. There should be, but there isn't that many. And in HR, it's interesting, especially when you're in oil and gas. So I'm in the oil and gas industry. Um, we at Feral Energy Solution, we manufacture drill bits and downhole products. And I've been with this company now, it's going to be close to five years. And uh, this role uh, initially uh, didn't exist really. There was an HR department at the organization, but this top role didn't really exist. And when I actually applied for it, it wasn't a VP role. It was a lower role. And um, they asked me to join the executive team. And I questioned like, well, if you want me to join the executive team, why Why would it not be you know, a VP role? And uh, there's a good question. So I said, if you really want me, then you know, it needs to be a VP role. Mm -hmm. So it, it takes courage, number one, to ask what you want from the beginning. Because if I would have accepted the role at a director, I don't think I would have been the EVP today. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, and then you said to me, like, how is it? It's it's not easy. It's it's hard to be the only female in an executive team of alpha males who are loud, <laughs> speak their mind. They're all dominant in the disc profile. Uh, where I am, I am a quiet person. I am not a loud person. I'm not the loudest person in the room. I've got things to say. I just don't come across that way. Well, what's interesting about that is, and you and I have had some conversations around this for the majority of my life, I was always a bit of a quiet, shy, introverted IT guy. And stepping into HR and in oil and gas, I've had to learn to walk into a room full of, of dominant males and have my voice heard. And while I'm not outspoken or boisterous or anything like that, I found a tremendous amount of value in learning to listen twice as much as I speak and only speak when I have something valuable to add or contribute. And when you do that and you speak and it resonates with people because it's, oh, wow, 
she knows what she's talking about. Maybe, maybe I need to listen. And I think that's something that a lot of people that are, are introverted or quiet or shy or reserved, they're hesitant to speak up and share their mind when they really shouldn't be. Is that something that you've come across, especially being in oil and gas, being a female in this role, and as you started building this, this women's group to be able to help them become stronger leaders? Yes, it has. And you're absolutely right that, um, myself included, I used to be very shy, not want to say what I thought because I, you know, I was afraid that what I have to say is not important or, you know, they're not going to like what I'm going to say, or, you know, it, it doesn't make sense or you know, just every type of excuses I would make in my head, you know, of why I shouldn't speak up. And, um, I learned through having great coaches, through reading, to just development of myself that I needed to speak up, that I'm in this role. They hired me because of my expertise. I'm doing a disservice, not only for myself, but to the organization by not sharing my perspective or my opinion and just speaking my mind, really. And it it comes with practice. It's not something that comes easily. It took me years. It took me years to be able to to do that and to really get to know myself first. Like, you know, what are my strengths and my weaknesses and really work on that uh, so that I could come across as a great leader. And I think a lot of people don't spend the time to get to know themselves really well. The self-reflection piece is very important. Why do you think that is? Why do you think that people don't always take that time to get to know themselves before putting themselves out there? It's uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> very uncomfortable to have that mirror, you know, in front of you and say, this is who you are. You're like, no, I'm not. I'm not that way. <laughs> and you've answered it. You've answered the assessment. That is you. Mm-hmm. And then to learn about, well, how do you tweak that if you want to make some tweaks and, you know, become better or change it? Not, not change as a person, but maybe learn then. I had to learn, well, how do I speak up? How, how can I, my voice come across when I'm sitting down, for instance? As I'm sitting down with you today, I've learned that I had to sit up straight versus slouch in the back like this where my voice will come low. I've had to learn that. Or when I'm walking in a room and standing and presenting, I've had to learn how to present and so forth. It takes time. But I had to really look at myself, look at the assessments that I've taken and have great people that would give me straight on you know, feedback and take it on and be like, it's just feedback. It's nothing personal. If I want to improve, I need to accept this feedback. And how do I become better? Man, so receiving feedback is, it's tough. And it, and it is extremely important how that feedback is delivered. One of the things that I've started to recognize over the years is, is how crucial providing feedback to people is. Because ultimately, I think we all want to do better. We all want to be better. But if you have a boss that's providing, we'll say, feedback and just ripping you to shreds, it's not going to be received well. People are probably going to take that. They're going to beat themselves up much more than that boss ever could. However, if as a leader, you lead the conversation with kindness and candor and you share, this is what we're seeing. And it's not the end of the world, but I think we can make some tweaks and adjustments and you can be better. The team can be better and we can be better overall. But as leaders, that's not always easy, is it? You know, and, and you're absolutely right. I think one of the things that I've learned as a leader is to get to know your team, get to know the people that report. Because the way that I'm going to give feedback to one person versus another is going to be different based on their personality, based on, you know, their roles, based on a whole, a whole bunch of things. But you really have to care and get to know them well. Because 
if I give feedback the same way that I do to one colleague versus another, it's not going to work. It's not going to land the same way. The message is not going to receive the same way. And I might end up hurting someone, you know, not consciously trying to hurt them. That was not my intent. But if you're not careful of that, that's what happens. It's the same thing as parenting, really. How you parent your kids, it will be different. <laughs> one child's another than how you deal with people out in the workplace. So what is... What is the best way for a leader to know how to effectively communicate to each member of their team? I, th I think these disk assessments or any type of behavioral assessments help. Um, when I started in this organization, I had to bring a team together that didn't know each other very well. So they worked in different locations. They, they were all, you know, part of HR, but they didn't know themselves very well. So, you know, I... I brought them in so they get they can get to know each other better and for me to get to know each other each of them as well. But I went to them. I didn't expect them to come to me as a, as a new leader walking into an organization. I think leaders make that mistake of not going to them and seeing them in their environment, how they work, um, asking them the questions. I mean, I even sent them a questionnaire. It was like, hey, what do you like to eat? You know, what type of gifts do you like to receive? What's your favorite color? You know, simple things like that. That that some people say, but why do I care about those things? Well, if you want to recognize them or something one point, like how do they like to receive recognition in public or in private? That was one of the questions that I asked them. Come to find out that most of my team wanted in private. Okay, great. So that's what I do now. You know, I give them something. I send them a note. And, I've, and they've I have demonstrated to them that I care and that I've paid attention to them and I've listened to them. From there, you make your assessments, you know, like I mentioned DISC or... Uh, Tom, uh, what else can you do? Like um, Myers, you know, uh, Myers Briggs, anything, any type of assessment, and together as a team, review it. Get to know each other now as a team, because now it's not just about knowing just that one person, but knowing the entire team as well. Yeah. So I've leaned into DISC more than any of the others. I've done Myers Briggs. I've done Berkman. I've done TTI. I've done like all sorts of different assessments. I have a, a, a tendency to lean into DISC more than any of the others. And just for the listeners, I know I've talked about this quite a bit on the show, but the best way to summarize this is if you imagine a pie into four quadrants, you have D, which is dominant and direct. I are bubbly, outgoing, extroverted. S's are kind of, they, they just like stability. They just want to come in, do their job, kind of work behind the scenes. And then C's are highly conscientious, data-driven, focused on analytics. So you kind of can, we'll say, bucketize somebody into these quadrants and you can overlay in between different quadrants but tools like this help you better understand yourself and the people on your team and there's all sorts of i think a lot of different companies will prefer berkman over disc over meyer briggs at the end of the day i don't think it so much matters the tool as much as matters how much you use it and get it throughout your organization so that everybody kind of understands conceptually that we are all different and how to best interact with everybody else is is that fair in your perspective yeah absolutely you know when we brought in this organization that was exactly the purpose of why we brought it in is so that people would get to know each other better we changed the culture organization when we became uh, uh, privately owned back in March of 2020 with a new CEO, new group of executives, 
And part of what we decided to do is like, let's let's rebrand the organization and bring everybody together because we felt like we were a separate company before. There were different, um, there, there were just different product lines. So people just, you know, were working separately in silos. So one of the things that um, my team did is one, assess my team themselves to, to on disk. They got to learn it. They saw it, they saw the value of it. And then my team learned disk and to be facilitators themselves with disk, which is one of the things why I love disk personally is because it's it's easy enough that you can become a facilitator. And then they facilitated with their internal clients. And that just spread. And we did it in different languages as well. We did it in Spanish, we did it in French at the time, of course in English. And it's it's kept growing since then, so much so that people are put their disk assessments on their walls, on their cubicles. So when you walk around our office, you can see people and you can see their disks, so you have an you have an idea of where they are in the quadrants. And what I'm really proud of is that one particular colleague of mine did such a great job. Her name is Selena Young, and she took disk at the next level. Well, now she took disk disk with conflict and presented that to her client groups. And the client groups loved it. They're like, oh, this is this is great. Like now we're taking disk at the next level. And we have been using disk not as a self-standalone, as as an add-on to any type of learning and development that we do in our organization. So that's like the basis, like that's the foundation of any learning and development, getting to know yourself first. And we we bring it back all the time. Well, where are you on the disk? You know, every time I give someone feedback, I'll give you a perfect example. I gave a a vice president of manufacturing, I gave him feedback on an email that he sent. And I said, you know, great email, but said, who's your audience for this email? And he said, oh, it's the executives. I'm like, do you know what, what their disk profile is? And he's like, hmm, if, I have, if I were to guess, they're all probably Ds. I'm like, right. So if they're all Ds, they're not gonna scroll down and, and read your entire email. I said, you know, I think you need to change it a bit. You know, and he's like, okay, great feedback. And he did, the next time he did, he got, the response that he was expecting, you know, he got, you know, instantly people were responding. I'm like, oh, great. And he thanked me for it. I'm like, it just, it's just a small moment. That was just a small moment of a conversation, a quick coaching moment, a quick feedback moment. And it worked because we've used this. We all know. So it doesn't take that much explanation. People get it. Man, that story resonated with me beyond belief. Whenever I think back a decade ago, I was a director of IT and I would put together these emails to update the executive staff. And because I've been a C for the majority of my life, or at least early in my career, these emails, Ilda, I mean, so much data and, it, and it's all technology geeky stuff that I was loving, but nobody would ever respond. And I would beat my head against a wall. And back then we have a, I had a director of leadership development and he's like, man, it's way too long. I was like, what are you talking about? This is gold. This is what they need. He's like, yeah, but they don't care about it. And they don't care. That's not the right terminology. They're not going to go through all the details because they were all high D's, very uh, dominant direct. Just get to the point. Tell me what I need to know. Give me three bullets. Bam, I'll move on. Right. And so that's what happens with a lot of people in executive roles. But hearing your story about this executive, it, like it just, that is such a crucial aspect, whether you're doing public speaking, whether you're delivering emails, understanding your target audience and being able to speak to them and adapt to what they need to hear so that your message comes across in the right way is such a valuable skill to learn and develop. Yeah. And finding ways to revamping it all the time. I think people do a one and done. Oh, we did that. It's done. Well, what, how, what can you do to refresh it and bring it back to the forefront, you know, for people in people's mind? Cause they forget it. Hmm. Yes. <laughs> so 
I like to do a lot of drip learning here yep. and there. Like, oh, here, now let's let's pull our disc and like, why why are we having issues today? <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you mentioned something earlier about how some of the people at your organization will put their actual disc profile up on their office or door or wherever. I think it's a tr actually I was at a customer location this week and the CHRO I was in her office chatting and and she had her entire team with the culture report where everybody falls right up on her wall so at a glance she could see it and then as people would walk into her office and have conversations it, it it's right there and you said something earlier that I also appreciate is how you were able to build your HR team and everyone so that they could become facilitators. Talk about an incredible idea and way to get it to permeate through the organization further and further, as opposed to just bringing in an outside facilitator or even yourself coming in, doing a workshop for a day, two days, or however long you want to do the workshop, and then, okay, you're free. Well, over time, people forget about it. And if you have those little drips of knowledge and information, like what you just described, what a beautiful way to just keep it in the forefront or at least in the back of people's minds over time. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to our offices in Saudi and India in a couple of weeks to train my HR team there because they haven't received the training yet. So I'm looking forward to that and how they're going to spin it and change it, you know, to accommodate for their internal clients. I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. So, okay. So I want to transition into cultures a little bit. Now, you mentioned going private. Uh, Veril was public before that. Is that correct? Yes, it belonged to uh, Sandvik at the time. Okay. All right. And then uh, have they been highly acquisitive historically? A lot of acquisitions? Okay. One of the things that I've seen in oil and gas is uh, M&A is it's, uh, very prominent in that industry. Okay. Fair. What that inevitably ends up creating is a lot of different subcultures within a larger organization. So you have maybe 15, 20, or even more acquisitions, all these little companies out there, and then you have corporate governance across the top where you have your senior leaders. So you have all these subcultures and then a corporate culture across the top of it. So that's challenging enough if you're operating just in North America land, for example. And I've heard you talk about doing disc in French and now going overseas to Saudi. And how do you, as a senior executive over HR for a global organization, start to create some semblance of a culture for the organization globally? Well, you don't do it alone. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> You have a team. So not only do I have my HR team, I've got my executive team as well, too. So we all buy into this together. It's not an idea that came from HR. It's actually the idea of, of the collective executive team that we came together and we decided, let's rebrand ourselves internally first, as well as externally. So as, yes, it's important, the branding externally, but what is it going to mean for us internally? And we worked together a couple of years back and took the letters from Veril, the V, the A, the R, the E, and the L, and each letter means something in our organization. V means valiant, and we have a definition of what valiant means. A means agile, and we have a definition of what that means, and so forth. And we use that, you know, to launch uh, across your organization. Well, how does that, what does that mean to you? What does valiant mean to you as an employee? And how can you be valiant in the workplace? We did that back in 2020 and 2021 was the work that we did. And my team, in fact, went out and took those 
we call it cultural framework, took that cultural framework and they translated it into their languages for their for their for the local countries because they didn't want to say it's just in English and that's it. And the other piece that's important, I, I think, is you let you let the people locally decide what makes sense for them and how it's is it going to be received appropriately for that location. Because whatever we do in the U.S., it's not going to work in Mexico. It's not going to work in India. It's not going to work in Saudi. It's going to look dif- it's going to look different. Um, and it's worked well for us so much so that we're going to be relaunching it again this year and now we're just changing it a little bit this year we've had new employees since we last did this launch uh we've had new leaders as well too um and you know COVID happened in between that as well so uh you know this this year with my uh directors in hr we decided let's let's revamp a lot of this great work that we've done let's not reinvent the wheel let's revamp it. let's just find a new fresh way to remind employees you know of, of this culture that we have that's a great culture that everybody enjoys. So I'm trying to, I'm, I'm a very visual by nature and, and I'm trying to think of the best way to kind of describe this is almost like you're creating this, this, I'm going to say cultural umbrella that kind of operates here. And then within each country or business unit, they might have their own little culture here or silo, and then they might have theirs, they might have theirs, but it all falls under these, these core values spelled through Veril, right? So it sounds like that's kind of what you have built out as a framework and it, it creates an opportunity for you to, mm -hmm, mitigate the risk of strays coming outside you can like pull them in to the umbrella but still allow them to operate within their norms of the country that they live in or the part of the world that they live in because there's going to be cultural challenges cultural differences in every country across the world but as long as it aligns with that umbrella that you have you and your team and your executives have created i think it's a beautiful way to start getting everybody moving in the same direction mm -hmm. you know and and that formula i'm going to call it a form that formula has worked well for us for different programs or different initiatives that we've decided to launch uh i can give you examples of you know um of diversity and inclusion programs that we've launched, what we've done that we've used that same formula that's worked really well. Um, again, my team had decided that for um, for last year in initiative, you know, October is diversity and inclusion month. So they decided, why don't we ask every HR folk across the different countries to uh, do a wall where people discuss a, how do how do they self-identify? You know, they are what? How do they see? How do they see themselves? And that's that's all we told them. Well, everybody did it differently, and it was beautiful to see how everybody, you know, just translated that and did it to their own cultural um, experience within our organization. In Mexico, they did this huge wall, and they put it all in Spanish. Um, and they said, you know, I am proud. I am a mother. I am, you know, a sister. You know, I am an employee at Vero. And they all, it was, it was just well done. And then in Saudi, they had a video where they were explaining to each other what diversity and inclusion meant to them. And that was their way of explaining it to them. So, again, how do you change culture and organizations to, to answer your question at the beginning? I think it's, it's giving people that freedom and that creativity as well to not to be so stern, so black and white. I think a lot of HR folks are very black and white, where I am not. I like to be in the gray and I like to say, okay, I've got an idea, 
But if I force it, it's not going to work. So I, I need my team to buy into it and for them to then be creative, do whatever they, what, what makes sense for them, and then just accept it that way. Because that's also part of being inclusive, right? And, you know, being diverse, not just in one way of looking at things. You know, you said something a moment ago that also resonated with me as, as far as a lot of HR professionals, just they're, they're black and white. And I think that, you know, as I transitioned into leading an HR team from my technology background, I, I, Ilda, I didn't know anything about employment law, HR processes, payroll. I didn't know anything about anything, right? But one thing that I had observed is all of my predecessors over, we'll say, a four-year span of time, everything was black and white. Well, this is the law. You can't break this. You can't do this. You can't do this. And right, wrong, or indifferent, I I went into it with the mindset of, okay, well, I have to learn these things. And when a in some sort of employee relations issue would come up, I would go out, have conversations with external counsel, internal counsel, do my research, and then I would bring the stat, the information back to the executives and say, okay, well, this is what we can do. This is what we can't do. Here's some different approaches. Here's our options. My recommendation is this. Because I'm highly risk averse, a lot of oil field executives, their risk tolerance is way up here, which mine isn't. And so what we had to do was let's close this gap and find some sort of common ground that exists in that gray area where we can mitigate the risk. And if the organizational leader thinks, okay, well, I'm comfortable with this amount of risk, what can we do here to just make sure we are protecting ourselves? And because I went in with that approach, I think it helped out tremendously in my ability to support the executives and feel help them feel like I was supporting them as opposed to just coming in and like dropping an HR hammer down on them. And it sounds like you're kind of operating somewhat similar to that. Correct. Yes, correct. I, you know, I, uh, people have described me as a weird HR person in the sense that I'm, I don't follow rules. Right. So people are like, what do you mean you don't follow rules? Okay. With, I have to sometimes. Yes. There are some laws and regulations that I have to follow. Yes. There are some policies that are more black than white. I need to do that. That's okay. But for the majority, I play in the gray, you know, I play outside of the box because we're humans. We're not meant to be, you know, placed in, in a box and not, I just don't believe in that. I myself am not like that. And when I was forced to be that way by past leaders, past organizations, I couldn't stand it. And I would see people being miserable. And I remember promising myself, whenever I'm going to be a leader, that's not how I'm going to be. I'm not going to run a department that way or treat my people that way. And people don't respond well to that. And we we forget that at the end, you know, we're leaders to serve people. We are. We're, we're here to serve people. And I'm curious, I have no doubt that earlier in your career or at various points in your career, you probably had a boss at some point that you thought, I will never treat my employees that way. Has that happened? Oh, yes. Many times. <laughs> For sure. So we, so we learn what not to do. And we also have other managers or bosses over the years that we just love and appreciate and respect and admire certain aspects and traits about how they lead. And early on in my career, as I was 
trying to figure out my own leadership style, I had uh, I reported to our director of IT. He had a military background, and man, he just re- achieved results, very very results driven. And the organization would actually move him. He was director of manufacturing, then director of distribution, and then they put him over IT. And it was absolutely fascinating to see him go in and within six to nine months just completely flip an organization over and get them to start hitting record numbers. And then he came into IT, started doing the same thing with us. And I thought, man, I want to be like him. And interestingly enough, I tried to be like him and it didn't work. I wasn't retired military. I didn't have that background. I didn't have that structure. I couldn't be that I'm going to say hard ass because that's not who I am at my core. And when I tried, it didn't feel natural. People looked at me funny. They're like, okay, what is happening here? And I think that speaks to the importance of as we grow as leaders, we have to we have to find our own leadership voice and don't just take somebody you respect and admire and try to emulate them in their entirety but pick out pieces of, well, I really appreciate how he communicates this, and then learn how to incorporate that into the leader that is Sean or the leader that is Ilda. And that takes time and intentionality. So I'm curious, is that something that you have started doing with, with your team and helping to build them as stronger leaders? Absolutely. You know, I've had two really great leaders who then became my mentors, who what I've noticed the most about them is like they truly cared about my career selflessly. And I can't, you know, say that enough selflessly. They didn't, they did not do it for themselves or to make themselves look good. They did it because they actually cared about my career. And I thank them to this day. And we're still friends to this day, you know, that I am where I am today because they really cared and developed me to, you know, to help me to grow in my career. And I do the same with my team. I've got people on my team that I've promoted many times, helping them, you know, to go to school and continue their education, you know, and do what I need to do to speak about them when they're not in the room, to showcase them, you know, when they're not in the room, to always mention them when they're not in the room and not to take credit for the work that they're doing and always pushing them to be like, you know, I want you to be able to grow so that if ever I leave this organization, you will be okay. You can take the you can take you can take this role, or you can go to the organization and take the next role. So much so that I've had I've had people call me up and say, Hey, you know, would you be interested in this role? I, I say no, but you know who could be in that role? My colleague that works with me. And then they look at they're like, you would you would let go of your employee? I'm like, no, I'm not letting my employee go, but I will support my employee to get that next role if that's if that's what they want. Absolutely, and why not? Right. Again, it goes back to that servant mentality. I am of that mentality of a servant leadership. It comes naturally to me. But at the time, when I was much younger in my career, that didn't exist. That term servant leadership did not exist. Right. So people just said, oh, you're too nice. You know, you care too much. Um, You know, you you shouldn't spend that much time, you know, caring about your employees and about them. You should focus on, you know, on your title and what's next for you. And it never felt right to me because that's just not who I am at my core. You know, I. I really want my team to grow and they are growing and I'm really proud of them for doing that and to keep growing. So I'm going to get real with you here. Early in my career, 
I had that mindset. It was it was all about me. It was all about what Sean could accomplish. Could Sean get that six-figure salary? Could he get the director title, the VP title? And Ilda, man, whenever I got into my probably mid-30s, I, I just, it, it, it didn't do it for me anymore. I, I wasn't fulfilled. And I went through a period of a few years where I was grappling and like, well, wait a second, I've, I've accomplished everything that I've set and I've reached all these goals. Why, why am I not happy? Why am I not fulfilled? And then that's whenever I, I raised my hand to start leading human resources and it completely shifted my entire perspective on everything because I went into it. I was forced to check my ego because I didn't know anything about HR and I had to go in and start learning. And the way the relationships unfolded with all of my managers at the time, is I can vividly recall sitting down, Jason, I don't know anything about HR operations or employment law. I need you to teach me. Mm -hmm. Sharon, I don't know anything about payroll processes. I need you to teach me. And by the way, I do know a lot about structure and process mapping and process improvement just because of my background in technology. I'm gonna teach you guys these things. So there was this exchange of knowledge that was mutually beneficial and it helped us all respect one another. And what ended up unfolding was I saw Jason start to grow and become a stronger leader. I saw Sharon start to grow and become a stronger leader. I saw Crystal and Mary and all these people on my team start becoming these incredible leaders. And then it just hit me one day. I was no longer focused on what I could accomplish. I had put so much time and energy in helping to grow them and seeing them achieve these incredible things. It just lit a fire inside of me, which is now why I ended up leaving my corporate America job to go out and do what I do to build more leaders. It is beyond fulfilling. And, you know, I was actually, as you were talking, I was going to ask you, how do we get more leaders to have that sort of a mindset of that, that servant leader mentality. But for me, it was just, I don't know, by chance that I happened to step into this other functional domain, but not everybody gets that opportunity. So how, how do we get more people to espouse that philosophy of becoming a servant leader? You know, I would say it's not for everyone. Not everyone wants to be a servant leader. Not everyone can be a servant leader. Um, they could try, but is it going to be genuine? Because I think people will see the fakeness of it. But it, 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 there's different types of leadership, and servant leadership is not the only one. Uh, but that's what works for me, and that's what has helped me in my career. But it has helped, more importantly, my team. But it's not for everybody. I mean, I've got, I've had leaders that I respect that are not servant leaders, but there are still great leaders. It doesn't make them less of a leader. They just lead different. They just lead differently. I think you've got to take some pros and cons for any type of leadership style and make your own and then call it whatever you want to. Like now the term is a servant leader, but I don't know what term I would put it on, but I just think I'm a more, for me, I'm a more genuine leader. That's how I come across. That's how I say it. Um, because I've, I've been, because of my background, because of how I was raised, that's just how I've been. But some people are, you know, have different experiences or I've, I've never had the chance to see what good leadership looks like. So they only know one way. Is, is that wrong? Not necessarily. It's just that's what they've learned until they learn something different. But you got to want to learn different ways as well, too. I've learned different leaderships on purpose. I've studied them. I've observed people. I've interviewed people to try to understand as well, too. Well, what works for what works for me? So it's it goes back to what we said at the beginning you know, of our conversation today is being self-aware. 
like what type of person are you what you know what what is your personality like are you a curious person or you're a person who you, you just want to be on your own and not want to be with others i mean i'm an i'm an introvert at heart but i come across as an extrovert because my job requires me to do that and i can be an extrovert in moments but when i need to recharge leave me alone with a book i will be fine <laughs> but it doesn't mean that i can be less of a leader compared to someone that's you know very outspoken that's always out there doing everything it's just it just looks different it just looks different so my answer is a bit long to your point but i think that everybody's meant to be a servant leader yes and and what's interesting is as you were talking through that i was also thinking about the teams that I was fortunate and blessed to lead over the years and, and beyond just IT and HR and safety and transportation, and, but it was all back office, we'll say support or corporate functions. And I never branched over into the operations side of things, but I'm, I'm reflecting back. We had a VP of leadership development. He was a retired Navy SEAL master chief and his coaching style and uh, leadership development style resonated more with the field guys and not as much with the back office function because it was like hardened Navy SEAL hit you across the face with a sledgehammer type approach. Whereas mine was more, we'll say uh, soft strategic, like a surgeon type of, of coaching style. And it seems that whenever I would work with people in the back office function, it resonated, it worked well, inspired, motivated them. But whenever I went out to the field, like they would listen and they would hear me, but it didn't have quite the same gravity as being hit across the face with a sledgehammer from a retired Navy SEAL master chief, right? And so I think that also goes back to understanding your target audience. These field ops guys that are spending 16 hours a day in the 110 degree New Mexico heat, right? They're not going to respond in the same way as an HR professional in the back office function. They're, they're going to be, there's going to, you're going to have to lead them in different ways, quite frankly, to get a message across for them to resonate. Mm -hmm. And so whenever you're working with the people in your HR team, do they, do you have certain leaders in your HR organization that their messaging and style resonates more with the field guys than the back office function? Yeah, absolutely they do. So we have manufacturing plants in different parts of the world. So the way that they communicate with shop floor managers, you know, or the shop floor supervisors is going to look different than the way that they speak to the finance controller. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> It's going to be different. And and that's why these assessments are so good because they've learned well, how to adapt and how to change their way of communicating with each one of them to, under, to understand that. Um, so, yeah, you do. You've got to flex all the time, adapt all the time, which are skill sets that take a long time to learn. Adapting and flexing is, is not easy. They sound like easy words, <laughs> but they're not. Not, not at all. Okay, I want to pivot just a little bit into leading remote teams. Mm -hmm. So you, you've talked about a lot of things that you've done over the past few years and through the pandemic. And whenever I'm working with customers, that's a huge challenge in terms of grappling with like a hybrid work schedule. Do we force everybody back into the office? Do we let them work from home? Like, what does this hybrid look like? What have you seen to be the most effective in maintaining high levels of output from the people in the organization while still bringing them together enough or being able to kind of create a strong culture? 
You know, it's interesting because I've been working mm -hmm. virtually with virtual teams for over 10 years, even before COVID. And I think that back then when I first started, this is going back in 2013, um, I would I would call up, you know, just my colleagues that were in the U.S. I was in Canada at the time, in the U.S., and I would just call them up and start building relationships with them. And they found it odd. They're like, why is she calling me? Why do we have the video? You know, because I would ask them to put their video on. Um, they would find it really weird because I'm like, well, it's just like a conversation. I just can't be face to face with you, but it doesn't mean you can't turn it on. And I started getting really curious about, well, how do you lead teams virtually? Because I eventually ended up leading a team virtually or somewhere in the UK, uh, somewhere in Norway. And I had never met them. I had hired them virtually and lead them virtually. The difference is that you've got to spend more time. And you've got to be more intentional to spend more time with them in meetings like this than in anything else and learn that um, your body language is 10 times more important on camera than it is face-to-face. -face. Really? Because <laughs> little things will, will, uh, will come up and if you don't address them, then you shut off the computer, you shut off the camera and then you never address them later on. You forget about them or something else can lead to that. You know, it will fester, the conflict will happen and so forth. But you gotta pay attention to those little nuances when you're in camera. And so that's why I tell my team, turn your cameras on, sit a certain way, smile, you know, pay attention to the nonverbals of your client. Is your client having their head down the whole time they're speaking to you? Like, are they on their phone? Like, what's, what's going on? Don't be distracted by looking something else out of your window. Little things like that come across even more on camera. And so when COVID, COVID hit, we spent a lot of time as, a, as an HR team on camera. And I would check in with them, each one of my members daily, and then together as a team weekly. It became exhausting for a lot of them because they had never done that before, right? Um, and you know, we all heard about Zoom fatigue and all of that because everybody was, you know, was overwhelmed by it, by it so much. I think now it has balanced out where people have a better idea on how to lead now virtually, understanding that you can still connect with someone virtually. Um, and again, is that that being intentional of on purposely connecting with your folks that are not in your office and trusting them. The trust is a very big piece. We are adults. <laughs> we should be trusting each other to do a job and um, spending more time in building those relationships virtually is, is, is important. I think people turn off the camera, turn on the camera, sorry, and they start into the business instead of just small talk that you would do somebody would walk into your office you know yeah. you would say hey how you doing how's your weekend and you start and then you start into the meeting right uh a lot of people just want to start on camera and go it's like well what happened to that small conversation at the beginning <laughs> you know that should still happen um but it, it it's still uncomfortable for some folks i gotta say that still people are still not very comfortable i still see people turning their cameras off or you know giving excuses why they can't turn their camera yep. off <laughs> I'm thinking I'm thinking back to when the pandemic hit and uh, I quickly recognized that the productivity of our IT organization skyrocketed. They were just loving it, being able to work from home. Productivity went through the roof, didn't have to whole, have a whole lot of interaction with them. However, on the HR side of the fence, like you, I was having daily Zoom calls, or we use Teams, but daily Teams calls with almost everybody in the HR organization. Now, I did have two, I had one project manager and an HRIS manager that they're like, okay, this is a bit much, so I kind of tailor back. But again, it goes back to 
as a leader, having to be malleable, having to adapt to the people, figure out what they need and lead them in the right way. And then also to your point of, you know, I think that culture, it's not built by pizza Friday and foosball tables. It's when everybody comes into the meeting room and we're, we're waiting a few minutes for the meeting to start. Hey, how was your kid's soccer game? You know, what's going on? What do you got going on this weekend? It's those little moments. And as leaders, we have to be more intentional about it when leading a remote workforce. Okay, so I really want to dive into what you were doing in terms of creating this this women in the workplace community. Can you share a little bit more about your mission and vision there and how you were executing on that? Yes, thank you. Um, so my, my goal is to inspire women in the workplace to speak up because as a female in an organization where there's mainly, mainly men in our industry, it, it has not, hasn't always been easy for me. And uh, some of it I've had to learn on my own. Some of it I've had people mentor me and help me out. And figuring it out on your own is the hardest thing to do. And when you don't have other females supporting you, I've had female leaders that have been awful you know, have been, <laughs> have been, and they didn't care. They would tell me, yes, I'm a bitch and I don't care. And I'd be like, whoa, okay, that's a bit much for me, <laughs> you know? And it's just like, well, why do you need to be that way to be, to be a leader? So for me, I wanted to come across and as the only female in the executive team, I wanted the rest of the females at Veral to feel that there's someone representing them that they can see me and be like, you know, I can move up, not necessarily in my role, but they can see like, okay, if she can do it, I can too. I'm just like them. I'm not any different. Remove my title. I'm just Ilda. And that's what I've done, you know, at Veral uh, by building uh, a group called Thrive. It's a women's group that we started in 2022. And we started small by just sending a survey and asking women, would you be interested in a women's group? You know, if we were to launch one, would you be interested? And they all said yes. And um, they fill out the survey. And my first call with them was just going through the survey with them and for them to get to know me. Because there have been some women on this call that I had never met. This from across the world at Raro that I had never met before. And they said yes. There were shy at the beginning. And in 2023, I made it my mission to bring a speaker every quarter to talk about the different subjects that they mentioned in their survey that they were interested in. So we brought in um, we brought in a woman to talk about imposter syndrome. We brought in you know someone to talk about personal branding. How do you brand yourself in the workplace? We talked about burnout. Uh, we talked about diversity and inclusion. What that looks like. I brought in um, the author of this book, Mira Malik, who came and talked to us about you know diversity and inclusion. And it pe people have loved it. You know, our, our women have so much so that it's been interesting that the men in the organization are saying, well, hold on a second. What about us? You know, how come there's a group for us? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> so we included them in our November conversation when we talked about burnout. We included them. And so this year, you know, we're planning on how we're going to do it a little bit differently where we continue the women's group. But we can but we can also include the men in some of the conversation because the female also want a safe space to talk about certain topics that they don't feel comfortable yet speaking, you know, with other males in the room, which is okay. Mm -hmm. um, but that's why I created this to have a safe space for them. And so I can, I, sorry, I can appreciate the fact that it's, it's, 
you're creating this group for women to help them grow and become stronger leaders and, and just better at life and in, in, in their careers, but also that you're not completely excluding men. Like, no, this is a girls only club. The fact that some men are expressing interest and learning because you're you're clearly teaching valuable lessons for all of them to learn. And those lessons can also be taught to men because men need to also learn things as, as well. So I love that you're you're being inclusive and allowing others to be a part of it, but you still have kind of that that core group of focus on on women and helping them grow and become better. So I, I just love what you're doing there. Oh, thank you. Yes, I'm very proud of that, and kudos to my team for helping out with that because you know they've been instrumental in making this successful. Yeah. Okay. All right. So what is one of the biggest things that you have learned in your career as a female executive in this industry that you would love to share with the audience? The biggest thing that I've learned is not to take anything personal. That has been the hardest thing to learn. Because I've been, I've been criticized. I've been, um, um, I've been told different things and if I would have taken them personal, I would have not been able to succeed and lead the way that I do. Um, and it's hard. It's hard. And I tell women, men say things to each other and their feelings don't get as hurt as it does for female. It's, it's a fact, right? Like, you know, you can talk to each other as males and say things and like you brush it off and it's fine. As females, we take it in and then we overanalyze it and take and then I take it personal. I bring it home and I'm just like too much. And I've had to stop. I've had to learn. It's still difficult, <laughs> but I think that's what makes us different. You know, males and females, that one makes us different, which is totally fine, but not taking everything personal. Some things might be, but not to take it all personal and to learn to be very uh, effective in my conversations and to only speak when needed to. Um, what I mean by that is like, I'm not a person that just likes to hear myself talk just for the the heck up here in my voice <laughs> it, it has to mean something it has to have an impact when you're saying something um so yeah i think that's the biggest thing is not to take things personal that's huge that's something that's a lesson that we can all take with us and and make something out of thank you so much okay so how do people contact you oh, uh well they can find me on linkedin under ilda andalus on linkedin uh you can also email me at iandalus at com. And any answers, uh, I will be willing to answer any questions that they have. Just, yeah, reach out to me. And, yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking your time and, and going over all of these incredible topics with us. I love what you are doing. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we will have all of Ilda's contact information in the show notes down below. Please feel free to reach out to her, contact her. She's doing some incredible things. And I think that is all we have for the show today. Thank you so much, and y'all have a good one.